I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome along to the Wise Men's Here podcast. We are sitting in the fire station in Sunderland City Centre. And I don't think we're going to bother with a preview of the Plymouth game. You can listen elsewhere if you want that, really. Well, not um, no, well, yeah. I don't think we should ask George about what formation he thinks Plymouth are going to play at the weekend. I don't, I don't know what I, I adds. I would never clue. I <laughs> exactly. Clue. So. I'm still trying to worry about the Sunderland <laughs> <formation>. <laughs> It's fine. So, uh, myself and Gareth and Matt are here and we are delighted to say that we are joined by George Clark, finally. We made it happen, didn't we? We did it. How many years ago did we first come at each other? Six, seven? Six, seven, yeah. Crikey. Uh, should we talk about my appendix? Should well, we if you would get it out of the way if you want to get well, it out of the way. It, it just became a long topic of conversation I noticed on your Monday night <laughs> podcast, which it went on for about 15 minutes. I thought it was going to be called George Clark's Ailments. Well, no, to be fair, <laughs> it was going to be called George Clark's Amazing Ailments. <laughs> no, no, it, but we were talking more about stomach removal in Turkey than your appendix to be brutally honest yeah that's that's true um, I did love the moment though when you said yeah we've got him on on Thursday and that, that'll be amazing and you just went did you just yeah. say that yeah. <laughs> can't help it though you should trademark that word now I think that might be a bit tricky mate might be a bit tricky right what we'll do is we'll have a chat about um, the football side first yeah. and then uh, other people are asking stuff about like the redevelopment in Sunderland and stuff because people are interested in that kind of stuff yeah. tell us about how you first got into football George and where your love affair with Sunderland started uh, well I'm a Sunderland lad through and through as you know I uh, love the club just like everybody I played when I was a young lad I played tons and tons of football loads of football I mean it was it was like a religion really um, why did you play opposition? do you know what so I jumped around a bit so I'm mainly left footed which was nearly left footed yeah I mean I do a bit of right foot but not as much I had a I don't don't want to big myself up too much I had a half decent left foot when I first started at school they played me left back because I was was pretty tall so I could get stuck in a little bit then my favourite position was left wing and strangely enough for a lad that's tall I was fast I I was pretty quick so no one expected it they always thought like the shorter ones might have a bit more speed so I used to skin people on the left wing. And then as I got a bit older and lost a little pace, I just went central midfield, or just slightly left side of midfield. But I still drifted out on the left wing quite a lot. And then there was a point I played for a team in Gateshead when I was 16, 17. Um, and they just stuck us up front. And they used to just belt the ball as hard and as fast as they could. Target man. And I was the, I was the target man. I was like a slightly shorter Niall Quinn. Christian Speaker will be signing you, you're so versatile. <laughs> 
he's, he's older than 22, that won't be happening. Yeah. Well, that's true, that's true. Um, but yeah, I was mainly, mainly left side. So left back, left side midfield, left wing. And what about your love affair with Sutherland, the team? So, wait, were you... Because I know people always see you from Washington, is that right? Yeah, so I was born in Sunderland. All my family are Sunderland, through and through. Um, we lived in Pallion when I was born. I was born at the General. Um, my nana and granddad lived in Farringdon. My other nana and granddad lived in Plains Farm. Then they moved... The Farringdon grandparents moved over to Sea Road, which is when I used to go to the old Roger Park a lot. So I was always, always in Sunderland, but my mum and dad moved to Washington when they were younger because it was seen as the new place to live in Washington, Newtown. So... That, that was my patch. That's where I was brought up. But you know, between Washington and Sunderland, that was kind of 50-50. Where I used to spend all my weekends in Sunderland. But being from Washington, did you used to mix with Newcastle fans at school? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, it, you know what it's like in Washington. It's like 50-50. I mean, it's, it's split right down the middle, to be honest with you. I mean, the divide was actually unbelievable. You'd go to school on a morning and half your mates would have Sunderland hats on and half of them would have Newcastle hats on. You just didn't talk to them. And can you remember your first match? Uh, October the 23rd, 1985, against Norwich, we got beat 2-0. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, that's impressive, to be honest. Can anyone else, can you remember, like, exact dates? I can't remember the date. I remember going to a reserve game when we died in, I think, 90. Oh, they don't count, so those ones don't count. Well, they've been at the end of the Rupert Park season, the last Rupert yeah. Park season. I'll tell, yeah. you what, I'll tell you who we remember the date really, really well. was um, when Nald Quinn was there as chairman. And he invited me up to the boardroom and he said, when was your first game? And I told him because I'll never forget it. And I, the penny just hadn't dropped with me and he looked at me and he went, that's 25 years to the day. Oh, I went, shut up. And he went, let me just get you a present. And he went downstairs and he nicked a tie from the players. And he went, don't wear that in the ground because only the players are allowed to wear players' ties. And I've still got it. That was on the 25th anniversary. And to mark the occasion um, sufficiently, did we lose? Do you know what? I can't remember. <laughs> I think we did because I was quite miserable. I remember that. I can't even remember that game, actually. The older I get, the worse my memory's getting. We 23rd of October 2000. So do some go- I'll do some Googling. Do some Googling. I can't I see, because I, 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 I just know my first game was when we were in the third division in 87, 88. I was only a six or seven. But I, I remember we scored a late winner. And won two one, but I can't, I can't remember. I, remember I can't remember who was against or anything. Can I just say though that the division year was a great year. I know I was too young to appreciate that. Uh, right? It's all right. You got four more. Couple of years away. Yeah. I love that year. I look because obviously I, my first game was eighty five. So to be honest, I was. I mean, I was I was eleven on my first game. If I'm if I'm really honest with you, my nana didn't want us to go to games because obviously in the eighties you could get a lot of hassle and a lot of trouble. And um, my nana's like, he's not going, he's not going, he's not going. And my uncle, who married into the family, so he's from London. He used to be a West Ham fan back in the day. That's where he was brought up. And then he became an absolute massive Sunderland fan. <laughs> Huge Sunderland fan. He took me to my first game. And um, I think there used to be like a little family enclosure bit or something, like a family-friendly bit in the main stand. And I remember standing in there. It's funny now because I'm six foot three, but I remember my uncle saying, I might have to build you a box to stand on because I couldn't see because he used to have to sit me on the railings. Oh, okay. And then um, we only did one game in there and I said to him, I went, Uncle Johnny, it's really boring and here, can we go on the full wheel end? And that was it. I used to stand in the same spot in the middle of the full wheel end, just halfway up, slightly to the right-hand side of the middle. You never get as far back as the cage, no? No, no, I was too scared for that. <laughs> my uncle couldn't go that far. My nana would have gone mental. 
I went. Um, <clears throat> I remember my dad used to sit in the main stand in, in Roper Park, and I went to a few games at the end of that season. My mum and dad live along the street from where Roper Park was. I remember I mentioned that reserve game because I probably told the story before me. <laughs> my dad didn't. My mum was like, "Oh, he's not going to like it." My dad was expecting to come off twenty minutes, whatever. Went off the end of the game. Didn't want to leave. Basically cried because I had to go home. He said, um, "Why are they not coming back on it?" They came back on last time they went after me, well, that was half time. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there you go, I've gone ever since. I think I was four then. So. I love my progression to the cage. I used to go with my dad in the middle of the full end as well, sitting in the barrier, and he was behind us, you know, that kind of setup. And I always remember, like, me, me older brother was in, like, and my dad was like, get yourself back to the cage. And I was like, a bit nervous about it. And I, I was one of your big Portsmouth 4 1, and I think we stopped them from getting promoted. Yeah, I was, it I was in the full end Yeah, game. well, I went in there. It was the first time the, the cage. Gordon Armstrong scored two penalties. Yes, I think so. And it just blew my mind in the cage, and I never looked back from there. Like, <laughs> that was absolutely amazing. Well, there was Newcastle fans at the game that day because they needed us to beat Portsmouth <laughs> to get in the playoffs to get promoted. Promoted, I think. I remember that. That's great. It'll have been the Keegan season when they won the yeah. league. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember that was the last day of the season, yeah, we got, yeah, one, four, one. I just, I loved the four-one end. I loved it. I mean, I, I know I can sit here as an old bloke now. You, you, t- you lot talk about being middle-aged all the time. <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, we're not quite. I've yeah, noticed you talk about being middle-aged. Well, I'm, I'm 50 this year, yeah. uh, which is frightening, to be honest with you. I don't know how I got there. Um, but when I look back, do you know what I loved, right, is that when you were younger, and I know this sounds really nostalgic, but if you scored a big goal, and I'd be standing there with my Uncle Johnny, by the time we'd finished the celebration, sometimes I was like 15 metres yeah. away from him, <laughs> yeah. because you'd go mental. You'd jump up and you'd be, or some bloke would pick us up and then I'd be in some other bunks. And it's, in some ways, I think it's sad with stadiums being definitely, full of seats. Definitely, definitely. Like, I, I, I can understand, obviously, for, you know, for massive reasons, it was right that we did that at the time, after, after Hillsborough and everything else happened, but... I don't know. I, I know they've talked about bringing back standing yeah. areas. I they don't have, know. If they, they have done have quite they done a few it? in uh, quite, quite a few Premier League stadiums. I've saved standing areas now. Well, you're not going to have the uh, flexibility to move around and be carried around. I don't think because they've got the barriers well, it's only the in front. Of you well, have yeah. you say that, but if you were at uh, Old Trafford for the um, <laughs> League Cup semi-final. Um, um, a naked man went five rows above my head in front of me and he got up and he was like looked at us and then as the ball went smashed into the roof of the net to buy Chikorito and it was a it was one all and he was like what's just happened he was like they've scored put the clothes back on yeah put the back on for the penalty yeah well then who's, who's got me under kegs well, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he's throwing them down from yeah. a mile away yeah. but they uh, were just they were just unbelievable days I think I remember we played um God, I can't remember what year it was. Your, your knowledge is better than mine when it comes to dates. We played Chelsea in the FA Cup and got ninety-two. So yeah. ninety-two. And no, I had, was that the year you were born? Yeah. I hate you. Yeah. I hate I'll you. Just for that reason, <laughs> <That's a bit laughs> I, just for that reason, I can't stand you. I've yeah, gone well, right off you. I that, remember that goal clearly. It was amazing. It was just that. I mean, literally, the full one end just went mental. And that was that was one of the greatest nights I had at the stadium. Actually, we had quite a few, but yeah, it was good. So yeah, eighty-five all the way through to the day. I've been there a few years, man. And at what age were you like interested? We're, we're obviously not getting on this yet, but I'm just linking it to football. So what age did you start getting interested in the architecture and stuff? And the reason I ask that is because like 
I was too young, really, when we moved to the stadium. I'd like to appreciate Roker Park, I think. And it's only now, you know, like we'd see some of the old grounds like Rangers and like Everton, yeah. where the same influence has been. Well, Archibald, has been, Archibald Leach. Yeah, really, yeah. well, ex- yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't know it was Archibald or something. I didn't want to show myself up and guess. Uh, were you appreciative of that at the time or not? Or were you still too young yeah, for that? So, um, so my granddad was a builder, lived in Plains Farm on uh, Primate Road, just off the Durham Road. My neck of the woods, yeah. yeah. And... Um, and he worked on the Silsworth ski slope. So when that was being built, so when I was, God, I can't remember, I was, say, I was like eight years old, nine years old. Um, my uncle Stuart, um, he was a footballer actually. I shouldn't say too much because he played for Newcastle. Yeah, he didn't want to, so, but yeah. Sunderland didn't want him, mate. He was a centre half, he was in the Newcastle reserves. He was called Stuart Dunbar. So he played for Newcastle in the early 80s. He was like a boot boy and in the reserves. He, d- he genuinely wanted to play for Sunderland, but Newcastle came in for him. It happened with Steve Howie, to be fair. And then, uh, to be honest, in the end, he emigrated to New Zealand to play football over there because he knew he was half decent, but he knew he wasn't good enough for the top teams here. Anyway, cut a long story short, he used to take me up to see my granddad on building sites. I just love being around building and construction. I used to sketch and draw a lot when I was a kid. Um, I was always slightly artistic and um, and yeah just it all came together when I was about 12 and that's when I knew I wanted to be an architect so I knew about building and construction if I'm honest I didn't know what architecture was like I didn't really understand what the <laughs> word even meant and my granddad bought a I think Sunland Library had a book sale on and he paid 10 pence and bought the glossary of architectural terms that's how much of a geek I was at 12 and then I realised like genuinely hand on half from 12 years old I just knew I wanted to be an architect and that was it and did you appreciate Rugger Park at the time and for that or not or was that, yeah. was that no no thing? I did I did I mean uh, um, I, do you know what I even worked on the refurb of Rugger Park when I was 16, 17 so on my apprenticeship I worked for an architect in Washington called David Johnson Architects and I don't know how David got the job because he was like a one man band architect that's what it was <laughs> Uh, that's Bob Murray just not part with his money. Um, Who put this silver tap here? <laughs> Where's the gold taps? And, um, Sorry. And it, so it was all upgrades, you know, kind of um, post uh, Bradford's fire, post Hillsborough and stuff like that. So it was about, I mean, it wasn't exciting stuff. It was about making emergency exit routes. You know, the police control room down at the Roker End? I worked on that. Um, can you remember the, the emergency staircases that went off the main stand? You probably don't Yes, them. yes, they're like, you, they used to curve round. Yeah, I did yeah. the drones for that really? mate back yeah. in the day. Wow. Even the toilets. So it's 16, 17. I remember being on site. I think Toland, uh, the contractors, did the job. I even remember one bloke just going, Are you from the architect? And I was 17 years old. We need a decision on this. And I'm thinking, I'm going to get sued. <laughs> and, and, but you know what? It was a dream come true. That like no, like no bullshit at all. For me to love that ground like I did and be going there since I was eleven, and all of a sudden be doing drones for it and being part of the architecture of it. And I think what you appreciate, um, with any stadium, to be honest, is you realise how important a piece of architecture it is to the people that go there every week or every couple of weeks. Do you know what I mean? It's it's. It is a religion, it's like going to a cathedral when you're in there, to be honest with you. And it means so much to everyone. I mean, even now, just us talking about it, I remember going to like a, I think there was an England under 15s game or something. And I got on the bus from Washington 
you know, got off at the Rechief, walked to the game, bought tickets for that, stood in the road ground, which I didn't normally do, and watched that game, and all that stuff just sticks with you. So you realise how important... I mean, come on, Roger Park wasn't the best piece of architecture in the world, as we know. It was just kind of built randomly in sections over many years. But it's about what a building means to people, and that's the most important thing, I think. And the, the main and the clock stand were individual, or... or or turd, I don't know if that's the right word or not. It's actually iconic with yes. that the oh, lack of work. Yeah, yeah. 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 like you still got that Rangers Everton. Plymouth have just pulled those down. Did Plymouth have the same one on their old main stand? I'm not sure if it did. I'm not sure. Uh, but you, one of my daftest memories actually is how many bloody columns got in the way that would ruin your sight line. So you used to see in the full end that there'd be this like little gap of people not standing there because yeah. you knew that's where the column was. Um, luckily all that stuff's gone. So you still get out of Goodison Park, don't you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you used to get that at Highbury as well, I remember it was really bad. Highbury, Highbury would actually, there would be a seat in the way and behind that column, like literally behind it. Absolutely. There's one amazing. in the Empire next Is door. Yeah, me, I went to see something with me dad. And we bought Wait, these. We bought these restricted view seats, thinking, "Oh, it'll be all right." And he has not. You actually, you literally bought a restricted view seat. There's <laughs> something in the title of that ticket sale. Usually, it's like, yeah, yeah, but this was like no view at all. Like, usually, you're expecting like, you know, oh, I might not be able to see. Did you get discount on it or something? I don't know. Well, that's it. Well, have you ever been back at the um, the Bullens yeah. Lane end, yeah. at Everton? If you're at the back of that stand, Anfield Road, underneath, well, it's basically like watching a game through a shed window. Yeah. It's like you can't see anything. If the ball goes in the air, the ball goes to the back post. The Anfield That's Road, it, you the finish. back of that before they did the extension on the top, if you sat in the back five rows, you couldn't see the other goal. So I remember going <laughs> midweek thinking, well... I just, I love <laughs> the idea that instead of restricted view tickets, they might advertise no view no tickets. View. It wasn't really it had no, like yeah. they had no view. It was just a big game. A massive disclaimer <laughs> on the back. <laughs> yeah. I was alright, he had that one, yeah. so it's fine. I, uh, I was going to say, the, so you would have, how old would you have been when we moved? God, when did so we 97, move? 97. 96, 97. No, 90, yeah. summer of 97. Yeah. Somewhere I left school, see, so it sinks together. I'll have been 23. 23. So do you remember, so what was your thoughts then, obviously, so you've, so you've been in that that world for a long, for six, seven years, working in that world. What was your sort of thoughts from, like, from a football perspective and, like, an architectural perspective, moving to the new stadium? Did you go to the uh, little shed that was next to the building site and, like, look at the designs and wait? the video screen where you could see where you could sit well, and all that it was kind of interesting because do you know what I didn't see any of that um, it happened quite if I'm honest by then I'd, so I moved down to London in 96 um, and, and I, that's when I became a little bit detached from the club I mean obviously I watched as many games as I could and I'm, I'm, I've always been obsessed, obsessed with the club but that's kind of when I stopped going to games the for best, a the best period yeah <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. But I moved down to London. I went to University College London, and yeah, go, go, and I, it was just—it's it, a geographic thing, like genuinely. I, did, I, I just didn't come back up as much as I wanted to at the time when I was at university. So I was doing my masters, and it was pretty intense at UCL. But yeah, at the time when the football was was absolutely brilliant, <laughs> I wasn't watching it. When's the, when's the first time you? Can you remember the first game you went to at the stadium, guys? God, I think it was about. I can't remember the exact game it must have been about 99, 2000 I think was the first game it was, wow. I don't remember no that's not true actually 
I think the stadium you was must have went the f- You must have went that first gone. season. You would have. I think I'd gone that first you season. Must have made, I, I, I think only came up for a couple of games. I can't quite remember. But, but when I started properly reconnecting and coming back up for more and more games, because basically I was at UCL, my course was pretty intensive. It was full on. It was actually quite horrible, to be honest. It was that stressful. So I was there from 97 to 99. So I was just fully consumed in the course, really. And then I set my practice up in January 2000. You know, I went off to like the desert and thought in America and came back and just thought, right, I'm not working for anybody ever again. I'm going to set my own business up. So I was all consumed in that. So I think, I think I'd been there the first season a few times, not that many. And then there was a big, big gap. Um, and my uncle, who I used to go to the games with, he moved away and moved down to Somerset. So I, there, there was a period of time where I wasn't connected as much as I would have loved to have been, to be honest. And then about 2000, I came back in again. Did you, when the first time you went, though, did you go in and did you have like a, an architect head on going? Well, like, did I walk like, in and say, is it amazing? Yeah. yeah. Not what you want to know. <laughs> no, no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I mean, if you did, I'd be worried. I mean, you wouldn't be as successful as you have been. But, but do, you know what, do you know what the title Amazing Spaces came out? So we, first season, making that series, didn't have a title. Right, we had no title at all. In fact, someone had like a terrible working title where they called us, and I was like embarrassed. They called it micro designs because you had oh. grand designs oh, and no. micro designs. Oh, and, I went, and I was like, that's horrific. That. <laughs> and it was so they got in the edit, and they'd been in the edit for about four or five months. And it was purely because when they were watching all the footage, I would walk in and go, that's amazing. No. Cheers. You've got to edit so this we'll mess that in. We'll leave that in. It's fine. We'll leave um, that in. But it was right on the. It was right on the. I know. On the, you know, the, the line. It's the guy who came up with um, the micro <laughs> spaces. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'll bloody get you on that. Micro designs, man. It was as he was delivering the bit about saying something was amazing, um, and it was purely because I would walk into spaces and go, "That's an amazing space. That's amazing." And someone at the channel went, "This is called a George Cross amazing spaces." That's how it came back. Did you hear Gareth? You said you listened to the pod. Did you hear Gareth mention how I always just suggest a bar should go everywhere? Well, well, I th- well he mentioned he mentioned the uh, George Clark's amazing bars, and I'm yeah. well up for making that. The best I one think being start right here, actually. The, be best one, the best I mean, one. The best one being. Well, I mean, the, be- the best one, one being when um, so Barry Hyde was showing showing us around, like showing us around the. He's got loads of like music studios and the, the Peacock and stuff like that, yeah. and uh, t- on the terrace. And I was like, it would, it would be absolutely meant to put a bar here because it's a great terrace and stuff. And Gareth was like, you actually now suggesting that they put a bar in a, in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it could be. You've gone meta at that point. Your version could be mint spaces. That can just be your face from now on. How did that... Um, how did that transition come to you? Because I bet when you... you so you're talking there and you, and, and you obviously you're saying you were obsessed with it when you were younger got to work on Rocker Park which you said was a dream come true still really young so you're obviously focused and so you probably didn't surprise yourself that you were going to do quite well but I bet you never thought I never thought be I'll be on the I'll do no, this no, on the telly no. so how, how did that transition happen? I mean how did that come about? So, <laughs> I, I mean I, I always had a passion for architecture and buildings as we've talked about before um, I mean the fact that I'm on telly now is kind of weird really I hated school plays, I couldn't stand drama, all I was interested in at school was design, any design course, art sculpture course, loved English, loved history and football, PE, 
I mean, even on PE, if they said you're playing rugby, I just wouldn't do it. I just, I'd, even my granddad said that's that's a sport that's been invented for lads that can't play football. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, what's what's the scrum all about? <laughs> I just don't understand what, what rugby is this? at all. It, like, it just don't, don't get Gareth started on rugby again. We've heard, we've heard this many times before. It's just terrible. Like it's rubbish. Um, Stops for. It's backwards, literally. He's going to use a it's word. It's wrong. Term. It's the wrong way. Kick it over, throw it out. <laughs> Go backwards. <laughs> what do you think of the scrum? I just think it's I don't very angry. It's <laughs> <laughs> very angry. I don't understand. What, what does the scrum do? I don't understand the point of the scrum. Well, it's why, why do they the do violence in rugby? Well, it's all about like, neck and back right. injuries. I'm going to have to put the break on this little chat Sorry. now because like, we, do, we do like a uh, rumble. We do like a rumble. Do you remember that fella in Ipswich? <laughs> yes. When he's trying to explain rugby right, to And us. then he got like really cosy with us and yeah. thought he was going to knock about us for the rest of the night. Yeah, yeah. he did, yeah. And then he made like. <laughs> we he had to like, like try and like. He was like, oh, the problem with like football, like oh, hor- all the people horrible each other, fans horrible each other. And then made a homophobic comment about <laughs> football fans. <laughs> so it was like, we, we were like, all right, mate, good, good one. Have a nice <laughs> night and left. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. actually, the story yeah. of me getting to tell is really boring, so I'm not going to talk about it. But it was a surprise. Uh, I turned it down first. No, so, as I said, there's a long, boring story, but I went for a screen test reluctantly because I had a literary agent. I was going to write a book and, yeah, got off the job. I said no a couple of times, just, and that wasn't out of arrogance. It was just purely that my practice was really busy. I was teaching a bit. And, and what, was the fir- what, what was the first one? Was that, amazing? Was that the first no, one? No, 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 no. Way before that. There was, so they offered me the job to be the main presenter and if I'm honest I said no because I just said I've never presented my life I don't know what I'm doing I've never been in front of a camera before and it was probably quite astute of me at the time I said look why don't you get someone else to be the main presenter who is a presenter and I'll be like the architectural expert so they needed an expert to redesign people's houses and what was good about that is I, I was just like a sponge basically so it was like an apprenticeship for telly so I just did my little bit so me going in designing someone's houses is what I did for my day job. That was my job. So to just sit there and do that, whether there was a camera there or not, was straightforward for me. And then some exec um, who was in control of that programme watched the rough cuts, because you always see like, fairly early rough cuts. And the exec just went, I want him. And that was it. And then after, after back of that, I did a series called Building Your Life in the Country for Three Years, which was, to be honest, that was massive for Channel 5. And then because that did really well actually one or two people from Channel 5 moved to Channel 4 and then basically came in for me and nicked me from Channel 5 so yeah I made a transfer there in 2007 television transfer I did a TV transfer to Channel 4 in 2007 first series was Restoration Man first day's filming was 2000 January the 20 something 2008 and then that came out two years later. And what point did you stop and say, I don't need to get my hands dirty anymore now, other people can do that for me? Oh, that was ages ago. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever got my hands dirty. Um, getting back to football. Are you still nervous, by the way? Not fine. I thought it was a bit, it was a bit weird. I'm just going to drop this in there. No, he said you I'm just going to put it out there because he comes across as being all confident, doesn't he? I will. And he said, I do a lot of public speaking and stuff. And George did a tweet. And it ended with hashtag wigwam. <laughs> <laughs> and us in the, how can you be nervous after that? Well, 
I, I must admit when I put a good that, nervous when I put that I put that tweet out and I thought if no one listened to your podcast <laughs> on Monday night, they would think no, it was the did. weirdest tweet <laughs> in the world about a kind of Turkish appendix operation, hashtag wigwam. Pick the bones out of that. Well, 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 there was no bones, it's very much uh, <laughs> guts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be yeah. fair, we, we had people who come back saying, I was enjoying all that talk there, like, because we always, always worried about going. So no, we've no, been, no, we've been criticised before for going off on tangents, and then, yeah. like, people saying, oh, I enjoyed all of that talk about that. No, but what I, what I loved was um, you've basically both taken the piss that maybe my appendix operation was relatively minor and that I should have been available for the podcast <laughs> in a matter of days but what you don't realise is I got sepsis oh. from the first operation oh. came out passed out got rushed into another hospital in London another operation wow. kept me in there for another week wow. so when you were messaging us going kind of like how hey, can you just do the what podcast why you agreed to come on he was like hallucinating <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's move on from appendix <laughs> <laughs> and did you have your travel insurance to show them was it all fine do you know what I was saying I, I, I didn't even need travel insurance because it wasn't in Turkey I yeah. didn't even know why you went down I didn't know why you went down the Turkey bit. I was in Bath do you know what was bad I was, do you know what I was filming and all day long I was going I'm not right I'm not right and they were, like, and they were going well where's the pain I said oh it's in the centre and they've gone oh well it can't be appendix what I didn't realise is the pain can start in the middle yeah, it and then drift over We'd gone to a hotel, I had a couple of pints of Guinness, I had a steak, right? And so my appendix had already burst. And I'm sitting there having a pint and steak. Wow. thinking Because the pain, the pain goes apparently, doesn't it? Goes. Yeah. Went to my room and I'm thinking, I can't sleep, my gut's killing us. I was in like the fetal position by four in the morning and then I had to go down the hotel lobby and go, you better call an ambulance. And then I was in the hospital in Bath for like a week. And then they released us, two septic and sepsis. Anyway, let's I'm, not, I'm, I'm not sure I'm happy with the what excuse to now? not come on. Yeah. Thing. No, but I just the reason why I mentioned that is the way that you were just like digging at me a little bit. There's a little bit, digging, oh, no, a little bit of digging of like how long does he need to get over a, like that an appendix more operation? Digging Callum Styles. <laughs> well, it's not much of an excuse. We've had uh, we've had worse ones. To be fair, it's fine. We've had worse ones. Yeah. Worse excuse. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So do you want to talk about the team now? Yeah, architecture, your favorite. Who was your first favorite player? 
Remember? My, I would say my proper, proper favourite player was Markle. I mean, there were some decent players there, 85, 86. Um, I mean, I, I literally, can you remember, you probably don't even know, next to Jackie White's market, there used to be a little Sunderland shop yeah, that sold shop, yeah. photos. I used to go in and buy photos of the players. Um, I remember meeting Eric Gates, early days. I remember Ian Hesford turning up and bashing his car his door in the Eric Gator's car and telling me not to tell anyone because I was the only one that saw so those are the days where I genuinely stood outside wanting autographs I haven't got my autograph book anymore but I had Eric in there and Steve Doyle and players like that but Margot was I mean obviously we're in third division crap league and Margot turned up and he was just explosive I mean he was it was when he got the ball he was so quick so strong and just smacked it when he smacked it and it went in we just went mental and obviously it was a good joke because we went up straight away but I would say Marco was my first proper proper year do you know Marco was in the away end I saw him at Borough and like nobody barely anybody recognised him how bad is that how old does that make it feel because like he would have been, you know, like he, like you see, I think people like the younger listeners might not realise because people associate Marco now with just being a bit of a miserable getting on tall spot and stuff and they don't realise how much of a hero he was. So yeah, it was like, it's like Kevin Phillips sort like level, wasn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, you know I've never told anyone this story before, but um, Bob Murray became a friend of mine. Bob, Bob got in touch and we went out for, for lunch once and... Then he made me a, a trustee of the Foundation of Light and stuff like that. And I'm a really, really good friend of Bob's. And he asked me who my hero was. And I said, well, obviously it was Marco. And then Bob arranged to take us to St. George's, you know, the England camp, because Bob had helped build that as well. And I turned up at his train station, can't remember which one it was. And I walked down and Bob, Bob being the gentleman that he is, he, always, he used to always meet me at the ticket barriers. Even though he had his driver and everything else, he would always stand there waiting for me getting off the train. He was like a dad, he was brilliant. Uh, still is. And I, as I walked out the ticket barrier, before I got to Bob, this bloke walked past us and whacked into my shoulder. Like, you know, when you just kind of want to collide with someone. And I looked around and I thought, who the fuck is that? And it was Marco. And he brought Marco along to meet me. And then I have a tour of St. And I bummed into Marco. I give him the biggest hug in the world as if he was my best mate. And I'd never really met him before. Um, and then we went off to St. George's. And I remember me and Marco having a kick around. You know, I went and go for a bit. He went and go for a bit. Took a few shots at each other. That was a great day. That was amazing for me. I mean, to knock the ball around with your football hero was amazing. And those were the days where they wore the Vogue shirts and all that. And obviously I'm connected with Vogue now in the brewery. And... Well, yeah. I've invested in Volks and those lads are doing a great job, so it all comes full circle. They are indeed, and they are great lads, so that'll take us on, I guess, to what some people have been asking about, more about the redevelopment stuff, and and, and we are we, we know Steve and everybody from Volks, and yeah. we do have a bit of a relationship Res- with them. Um, rescued us recently for our 10-year anniversary live. Yeah. How did they rescue you? We got double booked our original venue, and we didn't find out a week out until a week before. Right. <laughs> um, and they posted it so we moved the venue in a week be- week to go and uh, yeah so sure, they're obviously the good lads but um, when I got in touch with them for, for them to bring the Vaux brand back was just brilliant and I said to them I said look I'd love to be part of it but it's up to you it's your thing and they were like no I'd love you to be involved so it's fantastic and he shared those images with us and that looks amazing so context oh, I can't sorry I think oh, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. 
<laughs> cool, I'm getting trademark I can't help it, man. Cool, so, hey, yeah, I've just said it, I can't explain. So, what do you think of it? This just must be a really mucking word. What? Amazing, what? wasn't it? Well, yeah, because I obviously keep saying it. was called amazing. The whole show was named after it because he kept saying everything was amazing. That's it must be a Macam thing. And do you know what? Even my, I mean, obviously my kids are unfortunately London born and bred. Um, but my daughter literally takes the piss out of me by using the word amazing. So she, she kind of like drops her voice and hunches up a little bit, even though she's only 16 and goes, amazing. <laughs> she does, honestly. So... Going back to what Gareth said about yeah. me, I always think saying a bar should like suggesting places for you a bar to be. The amazing bars. Yes. So when you walk down Roger and head up towards Roger Park on yeah. the seafront, yeah. where that like old minging sort of shanty thing is, <laughs> honestly, every time I walk past there, I say to my wife every time, "Why is there not a bar there? Well, why is it? Not, why is there not a bar there? And there should be like seating outdoors. Like it'll be. Oh, I nearly said a mate. I nearly fucking said it again. That. <laughs> it'll be really good in the summer. And then, and then, what's happened? You also thought it was amazing. The Vox lads thought it was amazing, and that, that's where it's going to go. Yes, yeah. So that's going to open fairly soon, hopefully. Um, and to be honest with you, we're looking at other venues as well. So the lads have got really good plans for what Vox is going to do. Which I'm chuffed a bit about that. I mean, obviously, Vox before was massive on the side by the river, employed whatever seven, eight hundred people. We'll never get back to those days, but the idea that we're doing these kind of small-scale microbrewery spots around the city is fantastic. I nearly said amazing. I was going to say you used the wrong word. Wrong word. Well, no, you're using it all the time, mate. I'm going to stick with fantastic now. Imagine if you had said fantastic a lot and it was George Clark's fantastic spaces. We can take it in any direction you want, mate. Any descriptive word will do. I prefer amazing to fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's the accent, isn't it? It's the way the accent carries it, I think. Yeah, and, and actually, the, what's brilliant is the Magam accent is even better at it because it's a bit more like amazing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it kind of dips down a lot with a little Y in there before it picks back up. It's just works. It's just fit. It just works. It just works. Um, in terms of redevelopment around the stadium, so I know, like, again, we go back to when the stadium first opened and it's, it's in the middle of an industrial stadium, which is crap, but it's actually. In comparison of the grounds of the clubs, it's really central, isn't it? And it, it's t- it's taken. We're getting there now, and it's taken so long to actually pull that in to the city centre. It seems so obvious, really, but it, it's not just easy to do that, is it? But it's starting to happen now. Yeah, I mean, look, obviously with the shipbuilding gone and the coal mine gone and everything else, it was it was devastating for Sunderland, as we know, and it's been tough and. We've also got to remember, you know, we've gone through bloody austerity for years and years and years after the massive financial crash without getting too heavy about it. You know, then off the bat of that, you've got COVID and everything else. And it's, it's building stuff is tough. It's not as easy as you think. You know, getting the land deal sorted out, getting the money in place, making it financially stack up. It's really, really hard. There was never enough investment in the city, you know, when all that stuff was pulled and went. It was... And it's a story, actually, that's universal across so many northern towns and cities. It's not just us, you know. But it's turned. And it's turning actually quite quickly now. There's a little bit of momentum you've had. I mean, we're in the fire station now. What a great venue. I mean, genuinely brilliant venue. But it's even started with little venues like Pop Rex. You know, the lads of Pop Rex, they asked me to go along and have a look at the building before they'd even got the building and before they had any money together. 
and they were like George will you come and have a look and I went and met them and I was like it'd be brilliant if you could make this happen I'll help as much as I can and I connected them with a few people and stuff and you see those kind of those small scale things of good cool passionate people who want to do if I'm honest cultural creative artistic things and that's what I think the city should be doing even more of there's a lot of good creative people in the city who are really passionate about it and I think those small scale kind of independent companies are going to make a massive difference to Sunderland City Centre yeah we've got the big stuff obviously the Riverside development and the Vork site the Vork site's kind of planned it's, it's, it's kind of funded everyone knows what's happening there now that's been a big thing Paying for the bridges, you know, the bridges happening to connect over to the stadium. Been waiting 25 years for this bridge, haven't we? Yeah, and, and, and that's frustrating for everybody. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've been coming up here for meetings for many, many years. Coming back home where I've been really frustrated that stuff hasn't happened. I mean, even Bob Murray wouldn't mind me saying it, even with the Beacon of Light, relatively small charity that was punching way above its weight. I mean, I remember like them doing a feature on the Foundation of Light on Match of the Day and Gary Lineker absolutely raving about how good that was as a community charity making a massive difference to the area and when I first got connected to the charity we just had a couple of rooms in the stadium that, I mean they gave us those for free there was a bit of goodwill there and then all of a sudden we've built a 20 million quid building and I've just been in there this afternoon and it's flying it's absolutely brilliant and I think there's been a lot of doubt in the city, a lot of cynicism, and rightly so, because a lot of things were promised and never ever happened. And all of a sudden, it's, you know, the beacon is being built, and then you've got smaller scale stuff like Pop Rex, you've got the new city hall, you've got the riverside development. Just today I was taking pictures and I was like, there's loads of cranes in the middle of the city. And if there's loads of cranes, that's a really good sign, because it means you're building. And if you're building, then you're building stuff for people. And if those people are really passionate, things will change. And it's shifting. It's, it's the first time I think I can ever say it. It's genuinely shifted the dial for the city. And that's brilliant, that. And then the natural extension from the city centre when the bridge is made is, is like the Sheep Falls area. And when, when that's up and running, then that is an extension. That would, that's suddenly just the city centre, isn't it, with a bridge in the middle? And I know you're involved with some of the stuff that's starting to happen there I know yeah. that would be a bigger long term thing but yeah but you said before you said the stadium's in the middle of an industrial estate and in some ways that was fine like you know you had the printers there and that was a good business and being in Sunderland for many many years um, but now making that connection properly from the city centre with those bridges to the other side and sheep falls and I'm involved in a building with Sunderland College and my I've got an educational charity called Morby and we're helping with a building over there, trying to get young kids engaged in home innovation and home design. Because I think one of the biggest ambitions for the city is to build more residential properties in the middle of the city. I was saying to you before you pressed record, yeah, we've got 274,000 people in Sunland and there's only 3,000 people live in the city centre. Now, if you go back to places like Manchester in the late 80s and early 90s, the number of people that lived in the city centre was tiny. Now I know Manchester's massive and it's had a lot of investment and everything else, but the investment that went into people moving back into the city was enormous. So all the old industrial warehouses and the naked buildings that nobody cared about, no one wanted to live in a drafty old naked, you know, 19th century warehouse back in the day. And then certain developers went back in there and started creating. Like, I was going to say amazing places there. <laughs> I was just going to say amazing places. 
yeah, quite amazing places in the middle of the city where people firstly start to appreciate old buildings. So they were living in buildings with a story behind them, and I love that. I've always loved that. But also they were back in the city centre, and if you're living there, you're going to go out for a pint, and you're going to go out for some food, and you're going to start spending money. Then the shops start coming back. Cafes and bars start coming back. And that's proper regeneration. So it's, it is the big stuff, like what's happening on the Riverside and what's happening on the Vork side. It's also the really small stuff, like pop wrecks, some cultural stuff. We've got Culture House. Culture House here is going to be a game changer, you know. I mean, that was designed by Fort Browns that I used to work for. That is a game changer. So that's, ap- apart from some people upset, that's where Idols used to be. And that's a, that's a very famous Sunderland landmark. Uh, <laughs> Not, 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 not to. Mean yeah, you. yeah. Not to look at. Not aesthetically, I but can, you know, I, I culturally. Can, I, culturally. I, I, I can give you one or two personal <laughs> stories about idols that I'm not going to give you in case my mum listens. I remember idols very well, like way too well. And I think I was probably underage, but let's not talk about that. Either. And Annabelle's, of course, upstairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was even on the staircase in between a few times, but let's not talk about that. Um, but. Yeah, trying to be. <laughs> you've thrown me right off there. You take me right down memory lane. Um, no, it's 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 really good, and I, I I mean that with all my heart. It's really 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 good. I mean, I've I've been up here so many times, having so many meetings, on so many sides, going, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That's going to happen. And all of a sudden, it's happening. It's brilliant. When you so with work, got a couple of staff in an office in the Midlands, and they came up. And I was like, I'm going to take you to Sunderland when you come up. And like the drive in, um, by Western Way and stuff like that, it's like, I think it's like, you can actually go, look, there's this, there's that, there's this, look, look at this, we're, we're developing this, we're developing that. And you can actually like, I think, for the first time in a long time, you can actually be really proud of it. It's, it's interesting that you, t- like you talk about Western Way. When I was a lot younger when you went along Westerton Way when the coal mine closed and everything else before the beacon before the stadium before any of that when all that was decimated and that went it was soul destroying I remember it I, all my family if you look at my family tree worked in the yards and worked in the collieries right? all of them they were down in the shipyards there were road makers sheet metal workers all of that or they worked down in the pit when that got ripped down it absolutely destroyed the place as we know now we can sit and whinge about it and hark back to the good old days and what it was all like what's happened happened no point crying over spill milk you've got to move on now it's taken time it's taken a long long time but now you go along western way go past the beacon of light go past the stadium i know what's being planned for sheep falls i'm involved in one or two other things along there and then you go when you go over the bridge you know what's happening on the vork site now and then you turn around the corner and you've got pop wrecks and a few little small independents even master debonair the yeah. shop so like Mackie's corner and that area yeah, yeah. Corner, i mean i mean i went to his shop a long time ago in east boulder yeah. and i was like this is class lovely. i mean it's opposite lovely, lovely my, stuff, mate, yeah, my yeah. mate dean's just turned up so i'm going to drop dean in <laughs> my mate dean lives opposite master debonair in east boulder and i used to go in there and then he's opened up there so i keep coming back to the same point there's the big stuff big infrastructure stuff when I say infrastructure I'm talking about the pedestrian bridges and everything else it's the medium sized stuff but that small stuff for me is what's going to make the biggest difference the character isn't it? it's the character of the people 
current, brings the current to the city. Yeah, I worked on um, yeah. I worked on the master plan um, when I was trained to be an architect for Margate. Right back in the day, I used to work for a big kind of urban design regeneration company. When I, I was still a student, but I used to work for them part time. And Margate was knackered, knackered. So by the sea, off the beaten track. Nobody wanted to go. The heyday of kind of coastal places and architecture had died. The fairground had gone, the amusements had gone. I mean, it was desperate. I was going there in 97, 98, 99, desperate. You go now, it's flying. And that was triggered by two things. One, there was one iconic building called the Turner Centre, which is a gallery that they built right in the front. So all of a sudden you've got you know, Turner paintings, art and culture and heritage and history there. But the main thing was all the rents were really cheap because there were so many buildings that were naked. And young, really talented and creative people were like, hang on a minute, it's by the sea, not too far from London, not that anyone wants to be connected with that place. Um, it's my home, by the way, now, but I'm going to get in trouble for that. Um, and so you had these young creatives going out of the coast, beautiful spot, beautiful old buildings, lots of heritage. You could buy like a, I don't know, like a five-bedroom Georgian building for not a lot of money in the big scheme of things and then these young creatives have come in lots of independent companies a mate of mine had an idea about starting beauty products from seaweeds that you would harvest in margate and his company's flying now and i think that's what sunderland needs it's got it's gonna have the big stuff it's gonna have the infrastructure stuff but for me it's the young creatives retaining talent in the city and then having opportunities to go and take some good buildings and some great buildings around sunderland's got some fantastic buildings here. Now, you look around places like Sunnyside, there's some cracking old buildings around there that are ripe for redevelopment. That's what's going to make all the difference. People won't be surprised to know that we, we, we didn't really get around to the questions or, or like, forgot about the questions. I, I remember a couple of them. I think we covered a lot of what people were asking. Somebody did say something like, what would your grand design for the stadium of light be? I'm not talking about grand designs. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't our question. <laughs> how would you have a stadium of light in amazing space? <laughs> I, I, I've got to be careful here because I'm in the boardroom on Saturday for the <laughs> and I don't want to get in trouble with Carol um, I've got to be very delicate <laughs> if, um, they need to spend money on, on lots of spaces inside the stadium so obviously it was built what, what did we say 97? 97 yeah it's, it, it's quite a long time ago actually um, and, and Bob Murray did a brilliant, brilliant for the, job. For what the stadium costs, for what it for is. For what it is. is it's am, a, it's am, amazing. It, it yeah. is. That is genuinely amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it was... I mean, Bob is... I've, I've got a lot of admiration for Bob Murray. I know he's had a lot of stick over the years. and Bless him, he takes it. But my God, his heart's in Sunderland. I mean, he's in the boardroom with me. I think so. a lot of that's changed in hindsight, though, hasn't it? Bob loves that club and he loves the city and do you know what he's been unbelievably successful in life he could have walked away and had nothing to do with the place anymore he's stuck with it and he's, he's absolutely invested in it not just financially but emotionally as well I'm a big big fan of Bob's actually and, and in fairness to Kirill you know Kirill has a lot of respect for Bob and he understands that history and he talks to Bob quite a lot quite regularly and uh, let's, I think if I'm honest past owners haven't had that connection 
Like Ellis was shit. Did he? Did he not tell him? Um, Don't give the North Stand to the Mags. No. <laughs> I'm not getting into that. <laughs> I mean, if he, if he, Let, he, uh, maybe he was, was if unavailable that day. <laughs> Let's just say that was unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> Not an amazing space that day. No, but yeah. on, a, on, a, on a really, really serious point, and I don't mind Kirill giving me stick for this on Saturday, they need to spend money on the corporate spaces and the hospitality spaces. Um, they are looking a bit dated, and I think if you want the stadium to really be a flagship destination for concerts and events and all of those other things, you've got to raise the bar sometimes because the competition's quite fierce out there. But even just the regular bits where the normal fans go and stuff, it's like, sometimes you look and you think you could just cover bits and cover it in a little bit more and make yeah. it a bit more homely and Good stuff, washes. you know. Do yeah, you, do you, yeah. Right. Give, give the roof right. a jet wash for yeah. a start, yeah. yeah. Did, do you ever go to um, <laughs> other stadiums sort of almost like from an architectural perspective and go that's in, like so like the Tottenham Stadium yeah. the new Wembley stuff like that and look in it and go yeah, this is interesting or do you no no 100% I mean the, the, the problem is in my job it's like an occupational hazard you're looking at everything all the yeah. time that's why a lot of people never invite me around to their house to be honest because they're scared that I'm going to say is that what they tell you as well? yeah, they're <laughs> yeah they just don't like us we well, you know what we need to do now is just kind of afford it kind of bar yeah exactly yeah. I know where the bar needs to go but we I mean we talked about this right at the very beginning stadiums are really special places it's not just about the bits of steelwork and the cladding and everything else it's, it's the memories that you have of those places that's more important than anything I mean the new Wembley's phenomenal I mean, I, I even went to see Coldplay with my daughter last summer because she's a big Coldplay fan. It was just unbelievable as a venue. I mean, we've got to be staggeringly proud of, of stadiums like that. They're absolutely fantastic. And um, do, you, do you think it's odd though? Because I remember going to the playoff final in um, the League One playoff final, and I was in the obviously with the being League One, the corporate bits on. I bothered, but so they sell the tickets in that middle bit. Yeah. Um, and they had this, I can't remember, Bobby Moore bar or something. And it's great in some respects, but then at the same time, you're like, you would not know you're in a football stadium. You, it's it's a very odd, and you kind of go, well, this is really good, but like... It's the opposite of getting passed around in the full end. Yeah, it's like, yeah. It's yeah. Not it's like a football. venue. Isn't yeah, it? it's, like, it's like going to the Metro Centre, and then there's a football stadium. It's a balance, I guess, isn't are it? We, are we talking about bar architecture again? The architecture of bars? I'm not, I'm not I'm <laughs> no, seeing no, this, no, like, no, consistent no, thing that's coming yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll take that, bark attack, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not a house for dogs, yeah, yeah. by the way. No, that's my second day. It's a fairly surname, that's why it was, was the yeah. jewel. I mean, the other day I did put a nail in the wall, so, you know, I'm just saying. How did that go? Um, that oh, right? There's water coming out of it now. Yeah, yeah, it went all right, yeah. And what did you happen from the nail? Uh, well, actually, it wasn't a nail. I put a put wall plug in so some, dry, some drywall um, <laughs> and uh, managed to hang a net for some plush toys for son and it hasn't fallen down that's good it's gone really well. I mean that genuinely <laughs> sounds false, amazing uh, it's gone really well yeah it's gone really well so it's not quite amazing but it's certainly a space but you send me a picture <laughs> I really want to see it. Alright, right, okay. I'll send you a picture later on. <laughs> <laughs> what well, we'll, we'll quickly, just to wrap, I don't want to wrap it up. So, I know you say like, you're going to be killing and everything like that, and you don't want to say too much on the stadium. But what will be some quick wins on the stadium, do you think? Not even like that would cost the world, just to make the experience a bit better. Putting you on the spot there. Oh, that's a good question, that. It's a good question. 
I would, well, let's go back to architecture again. I would make the bars a bit better for a start. See, that's what we're like then. The, we're coming back to that. A lot of the hospitality in the corporate hospitality. It needs an upgrade, if I'm honest with you. And Kirill's going to kill me for that because he. Well, Quinn's bar's pretty good now. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, so, yeah, I'll, t- I'll check it out again on Saturday and I'll come back to you. Give us an update. I'll give you an update. It is right. dated. Some of the rooms are dated on the. Boxes and stuff. That with, I mean, come on, it was done in '97, and even though for me that seems like five minutes ago when my first game was '95, it's 30 years. Everything needs to be invested in and upgraded and established. And, and actually, I mean, without going too weird about it, like the Taylor Swift tour that got announced, and St James's Park and the Stadium of Light thought they might get it, and neither of them got it. And I think that's an indicator that we need to raise our game a bit to attract like big events like that. No doubt about it. Good. It's a good place to end. It's an amazing place to end. It was a real pleasure to get you on, George. And hopefully it's not seven years till the next time, let's, maybe. Let's not leave it that long. No, definitely not. Well, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks for coming on. Thanks a lot. And thanks always for listening.